light in the darkness. Okay, so everybody gets sentimental about Christmas. I want to, I'm going to pull you out of the sentimental and into the, into the reality. Can we, can, we, can we not? Look, here, sentimentalism is what makes you sad at Christmas. Sentimentalism is what makes you focus on what's not rather than what is at Christmas. So listen, here I am. Go, listen, go watch the miracle on 34th Street and the wonderful life and all those things. And then wake up. Wake up to find out what really this celebration is all about. Now, one of the first things that we all know, and let's just go ahead and say it, is none of us have any idea. Well, we have a little bit of an idea, but none of us know for certain when Jesus was born. We know that the Christian church adopted a pagan holiday and imbued it with meaning for our faith as a means and a ways of communicating the gospel to a culture. Y'all need to get over yourself about that. Christmas was not paganized. The pagan world was Christianized. And you need to get over yourself about that. And you need to, and you need to open your eyes. And, 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 and I have a good word from the Lord for you today that is one of my favorite words. While we're celebrating Jesus getting born, why don't we grow up? <laughs> we can do it. We can do this. Every time, by the way, every time I talk about personal responsibility, a lot of people that, that have come out, some people have a Christian spirituality that says that we are just completely helpless. Stop that. You're made in the image of God. The last thing you are is helpless. You need help, but you ain't helpless. It's a vast difference. Okay, I'm a little different than I was last night. Y'all might have to go back and watch last night, but we're going to go somewhere with this. Because I want to walk you, if you've been with us, we've been in the gospel of Matthew and probably even next week, maybe the week after, we will return to Matthew and we will enter Jerusalem with Jesus as, as we'll be at, at that, approaching that place in, in the scriptures. Today, I said, now I've got to go talk about the season because it, it, it matters. And I literally, listen, I want you not to walk in the, the, the funk of the things that trouble you during this season. Because can I tell you something? You're going to lose more stuff. One of the realities of life, the reality of life is that those who are gaining an inheritance that can't be taken away and a kingdom that cannot be shaken are also living in a world where everything you have will be stripped away from you sooner or later. And I can look at myself in the mirror and see it coming on. It's just the reality. But we must be unmoved by these things because we live in the hope of what this season portends, light in the darkness. Now, I read this over you, and then this was spoken over you, for nothing will be impossible with God. This was spoken over you in the, in the, in the service. And I, do, I reminisce a lot. But I'm reminiscing less, um, what shall I call it, like sentimentally, like I said. 
Uh, it, it was interesting because I knew I was going to go after this. I'm, 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 part of what I'm after this morning is to rip the veil of the pain of the stuff that people are carrying off of them so that you're going to go through this time with your family, not with an eye toward what has been lost, but with an eye toward what is being gained. You only think about what you lost when you walk in the sentimentality, but when you walk in the reality of what the birth of Christ means, then you're walking in the eager expectation of the sons of God. And of, yeah, come on now. And of the kingdom that's, that has no end. And so we always come to this story. God does not answer the question why is suffering in the world? He does not answer the question, why is this happening to me? The Christian gospel is not a, a, a place for why. There's some stuff about it, but what the Christian gospel is, is an answer to what God has actually done. So that when every year around this time, I start talking about this. When people say, <laughs> When people say, why doesn't God do something? Christmas celebration is about what he has done. And, and I'm going to be one of those that's going to stand and say, and it is very good. What he has done. What he did was he put, he put a story in the human race. Do you know how we, we live inside a story? Everything's about a, a story. And I'm going to tell you a Christmas story today. And I'm going to tell you the Christmas story, and I'm going to tell you a Christmas story. What God did about the problem of evil, sin, death, and, and everything that torments you. Is he gave the human race from the very inception of the human race a story that he would send one who would deal with the problem. You, do you reckon on that? The Bible is about, is a, is a coverage of about 4,000 years of human history and 4,000 years of living inside the hope of one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And, and I teach you about this covenant all the time that page by page after the, in the Bible is a narrative story telling how God has progressed his work through the ages, bringing us here now to where we are manning our posts. You're in the story. You matter in the story. been saying a little bit lately, I'm, I'm back to my old roots that every profession is a calling. Everything you do in life is sacred. There's no secular and sacred. That's, that's, that's an American myth. It's a Western myth. You and I who live in Christ, our, everything we do is unto the Lord. Now, that's not a license for you to go out and be a jerk in the workplace. But it is a license for you in the workplace to be the person of God who brings light in the darkness, who brings hope in the hopelessness, who 
who brings the wisdom of God to bear on the problems of man, who brings the kindness of God to bear on the pain of man, and who sometimes stands up to powers and says, this is wrong. But don't start there. And so when Mary has this visit, the Holy Spirit (coughs) will come upon you. Wow. And he says, basically, see, we think this doesn't come as a complete shock. Mary knew who she was in the house of David. Mary knew a king was coming forth from the house of David. She just had no idea the role she would play or how it would happen. And so, because this thing does not come upon her as some random weird thing that means nothing, but comes inside the narrative of their 4,000 year history. And she knows the history. Adam, Abraham, David, exile, restoration, promise. And so she can say, behold, I am the servant of the, of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. By the way, that's how you get in this family. I belong to a kingdom family, and that's how you get in. You agree with Mary. I'm yours. Be it unto me according to your word. And listen, when you do that, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the seed of Almighty God. (laughs) Okay, hallelujah. I don't know if I'm going to make it today. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Hallelujah. By the way, this is the greatest text about life in the womb. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, when Mary said, when Mary said, be it unto me according to your word, what she said yes to was being suspected as an adulteress by her betrothed, by her community, by everyone who knew her. Because listen, The Jews of her time were not casual about these things. 
And what I love is that at the very moment that she comes under the shadow of suspicion and the possibility of shame, the first word spoken over her that we know anything about is blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Listen, that's not a Catholic prayer. That's a Christian saying. You can say it because it's true and it needs to be said. And so here you have in a situation, two women, one of them bears in her womb, the man of whom it will be said, he's the greatest man that's ever been born among women because he was the prophet of the new covenant. And the other one is bearing the child. And she will be called the most blessed of all women. Because she brings forth into the world what God has to answer when man says, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? Why doesn't he do something? And he shows up in this way, in this place. And we go, we didn't expect that. Instead of coming as a God of war, which is what it would take to put an end to the evil in the world, he comes as the Prince of Peace and establishes a kingdom of peace in the midst of a world of chaos so that you and I are not living in the hope of a sentimental day on December 25th, but we're living out of the hope of an, of an almighty power of God entering into the world and stewarded by us in this world. <laughs> Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. He is my glory and the lifter of my head. I don't need anything for my sentimentality. I need him to speak to me again and tell me who I am. And I need to hear his voice resonating down through the, the years. Because now, now we've had uh, another 2,000 years to steward these things. And I'm not done. I don't know about you. I plan on being at my post. About... 20 years ago, the Spirit began to move afresh in my life now and in the lives of some people around me. What I notice is that um, this, is, this is a movement of the Holy Spirit. The word of prophecy that was given to me was, Behold, I will do a new thing, says the Lord, and shall it not spring forth? Isaiah's wonderful word was given to me. Now, I'm enough of a theologian that I want to tell you something, that what I actually know about that word of prophecy is that though it may have a quickening power in my life to lift up my head and to cause me to see my place in the kingdom of God, that word is not a, a, a casual word just thrown out there for anybody to grab that thing that wants it. No, it was a word of God saying, behold, I'm going to do a new thing. And this was when he did the new thing. He had sent prophets. He had sent kings. And now he sends his son. This is the new thing that the Lord does. And what happens to us is you and I hear it and it becomes our story and it becomes us. 
Just as surely as you hear that word about Israel in exile, uh, where he says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. That word's not for you. It was for them in that place. And, but it's a living word. And so it jumps alive in you and you say, it's me too. And so about 20 years ago, I began to say God was doing a new thing. And one of the, the new thing he was doing was I was becoming acquainted with God's power in a way that I had not been acquainted with it before, except in moments. And the Holy Spirit was being freshly poured out on some of us. And we became a problem. Because I want you to know that when God sends forth a word, it's a thrill to some and a chill to others. And the coming of this one was thrilling and absolutely chilling. And the coming of God to move on a group of people can, can lift us up and then it can make others absolutely be threatened and afraid and reactive. And God was moving. And it's not surprising to me that there was one thing that was happen, happening in, in our fellowship that was happening in a greater abundance during this time than, than I had ever known it to happen before. You know what it was? We were praying. But we weren't just saying prayers, we were praying. Do you know there's a difference in saying prayers and praying? I'm, I'm for both, by the way. <laughs> it's all right. If you recite something, it's still in you. And every time you recite the Lord's Prayer, you're reciting a prayer that cannot fail. So keep doing it. And do it. I don't, some people say, well, I don't want to do it with just a rote dead mind. I don't care how you do it. Do it. When the words come out of your mouth, they still, pray, they still work. They still work. But still, there's a difference in saying prayers and praying prayers. When you're praying prayers, you're being carried along and the Spirit has given you utterance. And there's a power in the movement. And God was speaking to us afresh. We knew something was afoot. And I'll never forget what happened among us. Let me read a little more. Let me read Mary's Magnificat. And Mary said, after, after this, Mary said, and how I love this passage. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And we used to say in the Lutheran church during this season, say, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done to me great things. And holy is his name. You got it? We used to, the priest would come out. Literally, the, the Lutheran pastor robed like a priest would come out. And he would sing the song of Mary over the congregation. And we wouldn't, you couldn't breathe. You see, you didn't sing this song every week, just once in a while. But when we sang it, we knew this, okay, this is, this is where we're going to you. We're going, and he would just carry us with the song, right? I miss the chanting priesthood. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you, do you hear what Mary's doing? In this passage, she's, she's saying, this is what God has done to me. And then what happens next is therefore. 
He has shown strength with his arm and he scattered the proud in the imagination of their, of their th- thoughts of their heart. And he brought down the, oh, did you hear me? I was quoting from the old King James and not reading. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. What she's singing now is God is doing this and he's doing this to set the world right. He filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she's singing. Listen, don't ever be surprised when it's the songwriters that sing the times. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a child of the 60s. The poets were the prophets. And, and there were secular prophets. And there's still secular prophets. They're still out there. Don't hate them. Don't hate them. And don't be surprised when God puts on the mouths of those that you don't expect the words that he needs to speak to a people. He's God. He doesn't check with us. He doesn't need our permission. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Hallelujah. And then we come to the birth of John. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he shall be called John. You might remember the passage that we left out was where Zechariah has been stricken mute. Sort of for his uh, speaking presumptuously in his unbelief. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And she made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So a few years ago when we were going through these things of God was speaking to us and we knew he was taking us somewhere we hadn't been. And uh, last night I mentioned some of the people. There were some things happening at Errol's church among some of the vineyard people. There were some things happening among us. And the Hudsons are here this morning. They remember those times with stark clarity. There was a young man in our church He was about six foot four. I mean, he was a Greek god. He was handsome, strong, cheerful. Everybody loved him. And um, he went to work in the family business. And it was construction and he was trained as an electrician. And on the work side, he caught hold of a live we got the call and he had been electrocuted and his life was in danger and he was being flown to UNM to the trauma care and the burn unit. Half of his face down half of his body, this arm all the way down his leg, one half of his body uh, burned with, um, you know, more, more power than the body can stand. And um, prayer had begun happening in our church. I mean, intense prayer. 
spirit-driven prayer. And listen, um, it was on. It was on, it was widespread. And his family called us, and we rushed to the hospital. He had a fiance. They were very young, but like Gail and I, they were they were going to get married young, and they were going to get on with their life. And his fiance and her family were there. His his family was there. And it became a vigil day after day. Will he make it? What will happen? Where's this all going? We're there for, I don't know, a week or 10 days, going through one day after another, going through the changes that were happening. And I get the call. You need to come to the hospital. He'll be gone in just a couple of hours. Come be with the family. He's not going to make it. It was a Friday night. Got dressed. Went up to the hospital. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. You know what? You know this kind of fear? This kind of fear where people go. Something happened here. A man whose mouth was stopped. His mouth is opened. He speaks this affirming word. Listen, this holy fear is a beautiful thing. It's the kind of fear that came on me many years ago when I was 17 and in high school and I showed up because my family always showed up at the midnight service for Christmas. And I'd been drinking. And they spotted me and said, oh, Alan's here. He knows all the songs. Let's bring him up to sing in the choir. (laughs) And I thought I'll be exposed by everyone. But I wasn't exposed. And I sang with clarity and loudly. Because I'm loud. (laughs) When you're in a small Lutheran church and you have a voice like mine, in tune or out, you're heard every word. (laughs) And I got away with it. But holy fear came upon me. It rested on me for, are you ready for this? Nine months. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid laid them up in their hearts and said, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. 
I went up to the hospital on that Friday night to see about the young man and be there with the family when he died. Marita, were y'all there? I think you were. You weren't were at the hospital. <sighs> went into a room, a little side room, about the size of our prayer room, absolutely packed with people. A table and the family sitting around the table and rows of people, the thick, you could hardly come in the room and a sound coming forth from that room that only happens when people are praying, not one at a time, but together. Right? And I walked in that room and, oh, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. And here was the father not of, this, of the young man, but his, his fiance's father, who was not a believer. There he was. Armstrong, were you all there? You guys were there. And that man was there, and I, and I, and I walked over and put my hand on him and just stood there a minute. And I, I was like, literally, in my mind was, don't mess this up. Man of faith and miracles. And I, and I heard the prayer. And I think Steve Carlson was leading, which didn't surprise me. Uh, at, by the time I'd left, one voice had risen above the others. And, and I was like, I, I'm leaving. I, I got to get out of here. It was just, they had it. They didn't need me. And sometimes the pastor walks in there. But, well, not in this church. Everybody defers, but not in this church. <laughs> but in the Baptist church, it was common. So I walked out the room and I started walking down the hall toward the doors of the trauma unit, of the burn unit. And, a, and here comes a doctor out of the room and, and he looks at me straight in my eyes. And he said, never forget it, he said, he's not going to die, he's going to live. And once again, man of faith, what did y'all do? <laughs> you don't forget moments like this because the doctor looked at me clear-eyed and said, we didn't do anything. It must have been something you people did. <laughs> For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God was filling us afresh in those days. And, and, and when he fills you, listen, everybody wants uh, the stuff we know about, but I want you to know something. The stuff you don't know about is as good as the stuff you know about. And he starts singing the song. And again, it's a song of what God is doing. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. I love this because here's, here's a man who's saying the God who has promised has come. And this is not even the birth of Jesus. This is the birth of John. And this man is seeing with eyes of faith now. And he's saying, no, no, no. God 
who has said, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. He's visited us now and he's redeemed his people and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He's prophesying over his own child, but he already knows the testimony of the coming child. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to show the mercy of the promise that was promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You live in a world that's still wrecked by sin, but you and I live as people who know that we have a God who has visited his people and who has remembered his holy covenant and who cannot fail, has not failed, and will not fail. And so don't miss that. It's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's not that so-and-so didn't make it home or that we're alienated from so-and-so. It's that the one who can deal with all the problems of all the world, of all of history, has done something everlastingly about it. And you and I live as heralds of that message. Don't hang your head. Don't hang your head. Well, you don't forget times like that, do you? You don't forget times like that. And so... Sure enough, he began to recover. Of course, with the burns, he was badly disfigured down half his face and lost his arm. And uh, by the way, let me just tell you something so you'll know it. Uh, That young man and that young lady got married and have children and they're, they're now about, to, they're pretty close to 20 years. I mean, or they maybe have reached 20 years. And, and they're loving each other and serving Jesus to this day. Can you, can you understand that? And I, always, and I always say about that girl, I always say about that girl that I've, I've never met anybody like her. Because y'all know me, I'll say anything. So I was sitting with him after the recovery happened. I was sitting with him in the car driving back from a retreat we'd all gone to. And I looked at her and I said, what, what has this... What has this thing that's happened to him done to you? you? You notice I'm not using their names. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, what has the disfiguring? This is before they got married. What has the disfiguring of his appearance done to you? And she went, he's the same to me as he's always been. And I went, now I've seen love. Right? Now I've seen love. But along and along, just a few months had passed. And Gail Gail and I got invited over to the home of um, the young lady's parents. Her mother was a wonderful Christian to this day, loved the Lord. And dad was kind of a typical self-made man, not happy quite with the way his life had gone, not happy quite with the way his family had gone. Pretty tough guy. Kind of a scary dude. Kind of people I like. They had us over for dinner. We ate and finished up. We were going out the door, getting our coats and going out the door. And he stopped me as I'm headed out the door and he said, uh, can I ask you something? Uh, yeah, absolutely, anything. And I look at him and his appearance has changed. That 
solemn appearance of somebody who really wants to ask you something. And he says, do you remember that night at the hospital when you came in the room and everyone was praying? I went, yeah, of course, I'll never forget it. And he looked at me and he said, what did you do to me? I said, nothing, I've just touched you. And he said, like almost with a tear, no, you did something to me. And he began to say the feelings that went through his body, the fire. Understand this, young man's in there in a burn unit, and the fire of God hits his future father-in-law. He said, no, no, something happened to me. And for just a moment, I stood and talked to him about God who gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And confessed that I was completely unaware of anything. <laughs> Man of faith and miracles. <laughs> to show mercy, promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And then as a father turning to his child, and you child shall be called the prophet of the most high. Oh, there's no passage in scripture that more embodies what I like to say to you when I say the purpose of fatherhood is to tell his children who they are. You live with God and then you speak life over your children. It's fathers and mothers. Anybody who's ever been around this woman knows that. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Hallelujah. The new covenant was the promise that what, that what the sacrificial system had embodied in animals was going to be enacted in humanity. Our sins are going to be forgiven, really forgiven. Not just remembered, forgiven. To give knowledge of the salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Hallelujah. Spirit of God springing forth, springing forth, springing forth. A few more weeks went by. Christmas Eve came. I loved Christmas Eve. I always loved Christmas Eve. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I would, do, I would do services. I would do 12 services if I could get away with it. We had, three, we had three Christmas Eve services in that church. And, and um, 
That's a good church, by the way. It's Del Norte Baptist Church. It's a good church. Those are good people. Wonderful church. And uh, one of the things I really liked about it was I, I had in my own office, I had, I had an office that was, a, that was right at a place where there was, there was a back door to my office. So if people came in to visit with me and, and you know, if they got any kind of emotions going on, they could just go out the back door. By the same token... I used to know a pastor that had a boat, and he named his boat Visitation. And every once in a while, he would tell the church, I'm going out on visitation. <laughs> so, I had that, so I had that back door. I had that wonderful back door. Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock service, it's about 4.45. And you've got, you got to know me. Uh, it might be known that I don't like to be bothered before the services. It's not as bad now, but in those days, it was like, yeah, oh yeah. You, it was like, you need a rope tied on your foot because you could die in there. <laughs> they have to drag you out. <laughs> I opened the door. And there he was. Father. I said, what are you doing here? And he said, you know, I have business to do with the Lord. And he came in my office and fell on the floor and wept his way to Jesus on Christmas Eve. Amen. Amen. And then the waves of reconciliation started coming. Hallelujah. Oh. The father reconciled to his children, a husband and wife closer than they've ever been. What Jesus did when he came into the world was he inaugurated. See, listen, listen, this is a power. This is a thing enacted. Christianity is not an argument we win with the world. It's a, it's a holy invasion. It's God come to his people. It's God come to redeem his people. It's God come to do something. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. And so every moment when you're tempted to feel loss during this holiday, lift up your head, your redemption draws nigh. Would you stand together? Okay, come up here and help me. So I want every person who's been feeling loss and grieving and been feeling that holiday stuff that, that you wish you didn't feel, but you know you do. You see, I can preach this with some authority because yesterday morning I woke up about 
five in the morning after just a few hours of sleep, not very much. And all that blackness came on me because I know it. I'm familiar with it. And I, I did what, what, which by the way, not a bad thing to do. I just went back to bed and covered my head. And I just said, Lord, you got to take me somewhere else. And when I woke up, it was gone. Just gone. Right? Amen? Right? But it made me taste it. Because, you see, I can't come here and address something that, I'm, that I have a callous heart about. Or that you feel like I don't understand. I, too, am I'm like you. So I attach myself to the reality more than I attach myself to my emotions. And the reality informs the rest of me. I come into alignment. So if that's you today, would you come? Would you just come? There are going to be some others in a minute, but you come first. Come on. Every person who suffered loss, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Every person that knows that that dark cloud that wants to come and swallow you up. God bless you, Chris. Come on. Come on, church. Yeah. Just slip past your neighbor. Come on. Fighting for it. Fighting to win. Not going to lose. Not going to be destroyed. Not going to be cast down. 